As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. This is Texas, the second largest state in the USA by landmass, population, and GDP. But perhaps being runner-up is not so bad in all of these categories. Texas has for many decades been a huge driving force of prosperity, not only for the people within the state, but also for all of the USA. The state provides over 40% of the oil production in the country, which is in turn the largest oil-producing nation in the world. To give you an idea of just how massive this operation is, Texas produces more oil than Brazil and China combined. Now, for regular channel viewers, you might be thinking, well, that's great and all. However, oil wealth doesn't always guarantee prosperity. But fortunately for Texas, it has diversified itself into a host of other industries, some of which are very far removed from what you might picture taking place in the land of cowboy boots and Ford F-350s. Texas is today home to the fastest growing population in all of the United States, which has been driven by the state attracting a range of new businesses which will work with this young new professional demographic to continue to grow a strong economy. Or at least, that's the theory. The rumblings around the world in 2020 have not been easy on the Texan miracle, and for the first time in almost three decades, the state might be starting to show signs of troubled waters. To see if this could be a hurdle that the Yeehaw state could not overcome, we need to look at a few key areas. What have been the industries driving the growth of Texas? What is it about the state that makes it so attractive to these industries? And what could future growth look like after 2020? Oh, and of course, while we're here, we're going to put the state on the Economics Explained National Leaderboard, which is very quickly getting filled with more non-nations than actual nations, but it's still all good fun. Texas is an interesting state for a lot of reasons, but perhaps the biggest curiosity to modern economists has been its very different approach that it's taken in running its state as compared with its natural rival, California. Now, of course, Texas and California are both US states filled with American citizens who have a lot more in common than they probably realize, but on a few key issues, they are almost mirror images of one another. California is home to the highest state income taxes in the country, Texas has none. California has very strict controls around business operations, whereas Texas takes a much more hands-off approach. California is experiencing an outflow of workers, whereas Texas has the highest population growth of any state in the union. In many ways, this clash of giants could be a showdown of two competing ideologies in a controlled environment, if you would give me the liberty to say that the USA is currently a controlled environment. All jokes aside though, it's truly remarkable to see such stark differences between the largest and second largest economic states in the US, and this can give us some great insights into some really key issues. But first, 
we need to control for the elephant in the room, which is all of that oil. Texas first discovered oil back in 1866 and started pumping in earnest around the turn of the new century, which coincided conveniently with the widespread adoption of the automobile. From this time on, oil became more synonymous with Texas than rodeos and gaudy belt buckles. The oil boom around the nation at this time gave rise to, among others, John D. Rockefeller, who was the wealthiest American to ever live, at least for now. Go and watch Business Casual's video on Rockefeller if you're interested in the oil industry around this time period in America. This remained a huge driver of growth in Texas all the way up until the 1960s, when it actually stepped up a gear. This was the time when OPEC was founded, which was an international cartel of oil producing nations that schemed to artificially raise the price of oil. Now, the USA, and by extension Texas, was not part of this little club, but that doesn't mean that they didn't benefit from it. Since this operation all worked to drive up the price of oil, Texas still stood to benefit because it no longer had to compete with international suppliers on price. This meant it was able to become the de facto oil supplier of the USA, which was quickly becoming a nation that was more and more thirsty for oil. More and more Americans were buying and driving cars while moving into suburban homes that not only required a longer commute in said cars, but were much more demanding on energy to heat, cool, light and operate. This perfect storm pushed the price of oil to levels that eventually became unsustainable even for Texas, which led to the oil crisis of the 1970s which did a few things. For starters, it made a lot of Texans very wealthy by being able to basically name their price for their black gold. But it also drove a lot of people to actually monitor how much they were consuming. The good old fashioned American V8 was traded in for a more efficient four cylinder and the average fuel efficiency of all cars on the road increased by over 30% within a decade. This in isolation probably wouldn't have been a huge deal for Texas. They could just get away with selling less oil for more money and maintaining the status quo. The problem was that this newfound fuel efficiency came in conjunction with a shakeup of the OPEC model as well as discoveries of oil in non-OPEC nations like Norway. I mean, come on Norway, why you gotta do Texas a dirty like this? Anyway, this caused a crash in oil prices and the debt fueled cowboys of Texas were no longer able to sustain the massive growth in the state's oil operations and overinflated real estate market. This hit the state incredibly hard and massive layoffs, bankruptcies and widespread foreclosures became commonplace throughout the 1980s. From that point onwards, oil production in the region suffered a slow drawn out decline as foreign oil just became more cost competitive. However, what doesn't kill you only makes you stronger and Texas learnt a valuable lesson. Never go all in on a single hand, no matter how good the cards are that you've been dealt. With this, it decided to start efforts to attract something far more lucrative than black gold. It went digging for business. Back during the oil rush of the mid 20th century, Texas was not a particularly attractive destination for most businesses outside of oil. Despite having no personal income taxes and business taxes that are less than 1%, the state still presented a lot of problems for budding entrepreneurs or corporate types. For starters, it was very expensive. During the boom in property prices from the 1960s onwards, real estate in major cities like Dallas and Houston was simply cost prohibitive to businesses that were not going to directly benefit from that oil revenue. Beyond this, Texas had somewhat of an image problem. A global headquarters in New York gave people the impression of an established big time corporation. A headquarters in San Francisco or Seattle was for the up and coming tech geniuses shaping the digital age. 
and a HQ in Dallas or Houston was for T. Boone Pickens. It sounds vapid, but these are the considerations companies make when they are establishing their base of operations. They want to be in and amongst their peers to get their share of ideas, talent and investment. Silicon Valley, for example, is not particularly remarkable for any reason other than the fact it's the de facto epicenter of technology companies in the USA. In fact, with high taxes, high cost of living, bad traffic and earthquakes, it's kind of terrible. Nonetheless, if you want to get started and operate in the tech space, you need to be in Silicon Valley. But this has all slowly started to change. As Texas became less and less of an oil state, it made more room for businesses who were attracted to its otherwise enticing cities. If you were a senior manager for a company and you had the option of living in New York or Dallas, you would actually be very silly to pick New York, all other things being equal. A $600,000 house in Dallas looks like this. A $600,000 house in New York looks like this. And in the age of instant communication and cheap air travel, being out of the action isn't a huge deal. In fact, this location may be a blessing. The top companies in Texas is a list that is no longer dominated by oil giants. Sure, they are still there, but they are not nearly as influential as companies like 7-Eleven, Dell, AT&T or American Airlines, all of which have operations all across the nation and the world and benefit greatly from this central location without committing to one coast or another. The growth of these companies, as well as smaller businesses, has been particularly strong in the last decade as more cost-conscious institutions have started shopping around for a place to call home, rather than just settling wherever they happen to be founded. This has only been accelerated by the fallout of the coronavirus, where working remotely is no longer an option, it's a necessity. Most networking is no longer done in flashy offices, it is done on Skype calls. So, there is no need to pay 5 times the rent and 15 times the tax for an office in California when you can have exactly the same thing in Texas. In our video on the Golden State, we noted a mass exodus of people leaving for exactly the same reasons. And guess where they're all going? It's primarily to Nevada and Texas. This shift is perhaps best typified by one particular technology company that has also started to make this leap. Tesla is about the most California company you could possibly imagine. Saving the environment with technology? That may fly in the green smoothie juice bars of LA, but it has no place in coal roll in Austin, right? Well, you would think so, but nonetheless, the factory that will be building the company's new Cybertruck will be located in Texas. This image change has also extended into other industries you might not expect. Texas is currently the largest producer of renewable energy in all of the United States, despite having an almost limitless supply of fossil fuels that they could rely on. However, the embrace of new business and technology hasn't completely left the oil industry as a distant memory, but instead it has brought it into the modern day. Oil production in Texas ended its slow decades-long decline in 2011 with the widespread adoption of a new type of technology, fracking. This technology allowed companies to access huge deposits that were otherwise unattainable. The relatively high price of oil during this time period, mixed with record low interest rates during the aftermath of the 2008 subprime mortgage crisis, meant that these businesses were able to get funding to drill into pretty much anything. Investors had lost out big on mortgage bonds and were looking to channel their money towards something that was easier to understand with a more simple payoff structure. And what could be more simple than profiting from hitting a new supply of black gold? 
This was a great opportunity for Texas because pumping shale oil is much more expensive than regular oil drilling, so some seed capital was more than welcome. This investment caused a rapid spike in oil production in the region, which made its old nemesis OPEC very angry. Between 2014 and 2016, the price of oil was lowered from $108 a barrel to just $32 a barrel, and this caused two major problems. The first problem was the simple one. At this price, shale oil production was no longer profitable. It was barely profitable to operate normal oil wells at this price level. This meant it became extremely difficult to pay back the loans of the oil companies had taken out to fund these drilling sites. Now this alone wouldn't have actually been a problem. In the world of free money at 0% interest rates, banks were always happy to refinance safe, secure debt. But that brought along problem too. Most of these loans were written with a security. A security just means something a bank can repossess if the borrower fails to repay the loan. This is pretty much identical to a home loan, where the bank will take the home as a security. This means if a home borrower fails to make their repayments back to the bank, they can repossess the property and sell it to cover that debt. Outside of a few very key examples, like the aforementioned subprime mortgage crisis, this basically makes home loans risk-free to the banks, which means that they can offer much lower interest rates in comparison to unsecured debts like personal loans or credit cards. Now, one other key component of writing loans from a bank's perspective is how much headroom they have on the value of this security. If you were to try and borrow $1 million on a property that is worth $2 million, this is about as safe as it gets for a bank. Even if you fail to pay up and the real estate market simultaneously plunges by some crazy number like 40%, the bank can still repossess the home and cover their position. If you wanted to borrow $1 million for a home that was worth $1.1 million though, well, that starts to get a little bit riskier. If the real estate market drops by just 10%, which can happen very easily, the bank would not be able to cover their position if they needed to repossess this home. This whole breakdown is called a loan to value ratio, or LVR for short amongst the financial institutions that write these loans. This is calculated by taking the value of the loan and dividing it by the value of the security. The lower, the better, but you never ever want to get this above one, or put simply, you never want the value of the loan to be greater than the value of the underlying security. For anybody that ever wants to get a job in finance, get used to working with this equation and all of the much more complicated variants of it. But the reason that this has anything to do with Texas is that its oil industry relied very heavily on this same type of secured debt. But the banks were not taking security over houses, instead, they were taking security over oil deposits. This meant that during the times of high oil prices, the companies responsible for drilling their oil could take on loan after loan from one bank after another because the value of their oil deposits was worth so much more than the money that they were asking for. Any loan writing institution would be happy to lend them money. But when the value of oil dropped by close on 70%, so too did the value of these unpumped oil reserves, which meant that any operation with even modest debts would have this LVR figure shoot up to above one, and suddenly they would be underwater on their loans. This means that banks would no longer be willing to refinance these loans, and the companies involved would either have to pay up or go bankrupt. And when they were losing money on an expensive process to pump cheap oil, that fate was pretty much decided for them. Fortunately, a few things changed, which meant the whole industry was able to narrowly avoid the same fate as their predecessors in the 1980s. Regular investors had become much more accepting of investing into businesses that were not turning a profit. 
I suppose Texas had their tech bros over in Silicon Valley to thank for that. This meant that the industry was able to survive the gap until prices rose again to more sustainable levels, which it did until 2020. The fallout of the coronavirus grounding planes, halting commutes and grinding global shipping to a halt meant the demand for oil took a massive hit. This combined with good old OPEC doing OPEC-y things meant that oil for a brief period had a negative value earlier in the year. If this sounds bizarre to you, go and watch our video on negative oil prices, it should explain everything. Weirdness aside, this has been another major hit to a floundering industry which is still a very important component of the Texan economy, and maybe it's a sign of major cracks in the foundation. Now we have joked about the rivalry between California and Texas in this video a little bit, but for better or for worse, this rivalry is real. The states that make up the US, united as they may be, naturally want to attract the young and productive workers and companies of the nation to build prosperity within their state, and as we've seen, there's a few ways this can be done. Great business centres, great environments, great location, and of course, great tax laws. Now this has been a big win for Texas in recent years because their low taxes are attracting more and more of these super productive workers and companies. You might just say, well, they have figured out the solution then. Obviously their system is working better than anyone else's, and that would be true if it were possible for anyone else. Texas subsidises the state budget revenue that it foregoes with no income taxes by charging taxes on oil production. A state like California also has oil, but it can't get away with taxing it as highly because their deposits are far less plentiful and far less cost effective to pump. When this is combined with the fact that California is one of the few states in the country that pays more in federal taxes than it receives in federal revenue, it starts to show that the record high income taxes that they levy are more of a necessity rather than a choice. We will actually do a video in the future of the federal income spending first taxation of the states, so make sure to subscribe and hit the bell icon for that one, but for now just know it's basically politics and history. And also keep in mind that if this oil tax revenue dries up, Texas may find that they will need to make the same difficult decisions. Okay, so now this is the fun part, putting the state of Texas on the Economics Explained leaderboard. But to keep things simple, I'm actually going to start a new list which is just American states compared against one another. But we are going to keep the scoring criteria the same, not only because California is already done and it would be difficult to go back and fix it, but also so that if you are so inclined, you can still compare these scores to other scores of sovereign nations. So starting with size, the state of Texas has a gross state product of $1.9 trillion, which just like California, would be a massive economy by national standards. So on that scale, it gets an 8 out of 10. GDP per capita is very strong at just under $60,000 per person. It still falls behind California, but when you consider the lack of state income taxes, combined with the lower general cost of living, it means that most Texans enjoy a higher overall standard of living. Even still, we're working off the metrics, so it gets an 8 out of 10. Stability and confidence is a bit iffy. The state has been hit by multiple huge ups and downs over the decades, but it has always managed to bounce back. In that regard, its oil wealth has been both a blessing and a curse. Nonetheless, it gets a score of 7 out of 10, even if it's just for its resilience. Growth has been incredibly strong over the last decade, and depending on how it battles its way through 2020, it may very well continue to close the gap on California, so it gets an 8 out of 10. Finally, industry. Now this is a bit of a chicken and an egg. 
The state is dependent on oil to provide a low tax environment to attract other businesses in order to limit its dependence on that oil. Even still, with more and more companies calling Texas home, it may soon be able to wean itself off oil entirely and become a fared income business hub. So it gets an 8 out of 10. This gives the state an average score of 7.8 out of 10, which means it does lose to California for now. So feel free to fight to the death over that in the comments section below.